welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. Well, here we are at the start of 2023, more or less. And it's that time of year where naturally newness is in our minds, newness is... Uh, being searched for in loads of different directions, be it, I don't know, diet, new goals and diet, be it new relational goals for 2023, be it new exercise ambitions for what 2023 is going to look like, or maybe our own sense of just personal development. This year we're going to excel in X, Y, and Z. It tends to be that time of the year where we start to to maybe just lift our eyes and hope for new things. And our, our little fatty brains uh, get overwhelmed because this message, by the way, our brains, I learned this, are 60% fat um, as organs, the fattiest organ in our body. That blew my mind this week. And this newness is promised and looked for in lots of different directions. And our brains are usually overwhelmed with promises uh, through different mediums, be it, I don't know, social media, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, however you consume uh, your media, um, th- there's promises popping up left, right and centre of newness. And my goal is not this afternoon, and my role in general is not to curate those for you or to pass judgment of any of them, but it is to say and point to the fact that Jesus promises newness of life through his Holy Spirit. John records that Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow, as the scripture says. This anyone comes or whoever believes in me is is an emphatic statement. The Jesus movement then was upsetting rulers, upsetting the, the, the structure of the day, be it the Sanhedrin, the, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, because this Jesus movement was a movement that was expanding categories and absolutely opening up to anyone who ever come and drink was the message of Jesus. And he had already kind of evidenced and proved this. If you go back a few chapters in John's gospel, when um, Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, promising her this, offering her this living water, this outcast, this outsider coming out at the wrong time of day, Jesus doing some risky engagement with this woman was evidencing the fact that this, this was for anyone and whoever. The inclusion criteria for this movement was trusting or simple faith in Jesus. It was an offer not based on social standing or things like wealth, status, ethnicity, or any other grounds, be it your 
past of your good record, your bad record. This was a thing where Jesus was offering to anyone and whoever would believe in him. And this strict inclusion criteria was just this simple trust in Jesus. And it was also this river of living water that was offered as this, with a clarion call for anyone and whoever, it was also symbolic of a blessing which had a penetrating depth and breadth. It was, after all, a river, a river of living water. Let me mention just a few of the primary allusions from the Old Testament to emphasize the point that this living war is indeed a blessing with impressive scope, breadth, width, depth, everything. Um, it's, it's a way of saying like, this blessing, this river, this thing this, that God is doing through Jesus, this blessing is not a miserly small thing. And the allusions to the Old Testament that John has in his mind, no doubt, as he writes th this very text that we've just read, um, helps us with that. But let me first of all, just quick reminder, set in the scene for the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, which is where, what was going on in Jerusalem, this festival when Jesus um, was offering this teaching. It was a feast that celebrated, the Jewish people would celebrate at a particular middle point in the year. It's a bit like a harvest, it's a harvest of the olives and grapes where they would celebrate the rains that had come and celebrate the provision of God with all sorts of things beneath that. Thinking back to the tabernacles, the booths was an allusion to the wilderness when God provided for them water from a rock. Remember, he provided for these grumbling people and he said, okay, I can make out of a rock come water. And so it was a festival, a, a joyful one, a popular one, and it was full of the themes of water and also of light. And so originally, while it had the sense of, of celebration around the provision of God, it also would become a celebration where it had an eschatological sense, which is looking to a future moment when this river would flow in a, in a wider, more expansive way. And so the festival was a very visual thing. It was... a uh, uh, day after day, they would go to the pools of Siloam and the high priest would lead them to gather big buckets of water and they would go up to the temple gates and the south gate and they would pour the water symbolically down and, and then they would do that repeated. And so there would be shouts of joy. At night, the temple would be lit up bright, uh, pointing to the day where there would, darkness would be extinguished forever. And so it was a harvest celebration for the provision time but it also had the sense of one day, God, you're going to bring in a new era. And we long for that. We look for this river that is going to flow in a much greater way. So that was the, the context and the setting for where Jesus brought these words. And there's all sorts of allusions that just unpack the depth of this sense of blessing that God wants to bring. I've already mentioned Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, which is two moments where water from the rocks is provided for the people of God in the desert. Notice in that moment, it was provided for a grumbling, moaning people. <laughs> they were not on their best behavior. They were not an impressive. They didn't earn this. They were moaning and God provided for them. Isaiah 55, one is a key 
text in the background of this um, teaching from Jesus, which says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without, on without price. And again, notice here the, the, the allusion to Isaiah speaks of this lavish, this free invitation to come and to feast. Isaiah 12, 3 says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Thinking to them what they would be seeing symbolically, they were literally, the symbolism was so close, drawing from the pools and pouring down the water, pointing to this, this drawing of someday, God, this salvation is going to come in a fuller and more complete way. Zechariah 13 and 14, again, are, could be places just in the background of this teaching. Zechariah says, on that day, there will be a fountain opened up from the house of David to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. There's a sense that this water not only symbolized a new era, but a purifying, a, 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 a personal, a corporate, a sense of the people being purified from their sins and being made in right relationship with their God. And Zechariah 14 talks about on that day, there'll be no light, no cold or frost, and there'll be a unique day, neither day nor night, but the evening there shall be light. On that day, living waters, this is Zechariah 14, verse eight, on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem and the Lord will be king over all the earth, verse nine. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name will be one and his name one. Ezekiel 36, church competition, the dry bones. Uh, Ezekiel 37, the, the river of God. As again, in the sense that this blessing, that the, the dead things, the, the broken, the beat down, the things that have no hope will be turned around and, and given life by the Spirit. And this river in, in Ezekiel 37 with the, that's flowing from the temple, it, it points to this blessing. This is not just a little Jewish thing that's going to happen over in the corner, some corner of the world. But this river is going to flow out and beyond and it says the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Imagine the difference just with trying to hold some of this sense of what is this living water, this blessing that what God wants to do. Imagine the difference with starting any year with the belief or conviction that God's blessing was somehow small or stingy or, or just measured sort of crudely versus starting the year and, and approaching relational issues, challenges, obstacles or opportunities or decisions big and small with the idea that God, and he says that he's blessing, he has a huge thing in mind. His resources are infinite. His, his mercy knows no end. His kindness wants to flow to us, through us, to the nations. Just imagine the difference in our approach to something if we have a tiny view of this blessing, just for me and in small measures, or versus we approach the things that are going to come at us with a sense that this God, when he says blessing, it, well, he means a river. He means something that has depth, breadth, and a flow. And this blessing of the living water is, is incredible. And, and, and maybe that's why they did the, the, maybe that's why festivals are important in their minds. Maybe why the symbolism in a culture that they were in of a dominant culture against this, 
there was joyfully, physically celebrating and practicing and declaring against the dominant culture that this God is a generous God, that this God is full of blessing. You can never outgive him. You can, and, and, and I just love the, the physicality of that, that, that festival. But notice in all of that, just that this blessing of the living water is at once immediately personal and a personal cleansing, but it also beckons more than personal transformation because it's simultaneously expansive and global and, and just way bigger than a, a little personal pick-me-up spirituality. So when blessing means many things, but it never just means you in your little corner just being blessed. The blessing in the Bible is, is, is much more expansive than that. And for John and Jesus, this could only come about through a spirit-enabled new life. The living water made clear by John is the living water is symbolism of the work of the Holy Spirit. Their, their hopes in their, in their time, in their mind, was for a time when the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh in greater measure, not just on a few prophets or not just for a certain time. But they, they were looking for a time where the pouring out the Spirit that would then signal this is the era of the Messiah. It'd be a, a, a new era where this, the, the curse will be overcome, the blessing can flow to the nations, and the, the work of the Spirit was a, a signal that this is on, this is happening. And so this was the work of the Holy Spirit. The living water was the work of the Holy Spirit in, the, in his people to shine light on, empower, and enable this movement of the Messiah, Jesus. That even in the text makes clear, they're not quite sure. Some are sure he's the Messiah, some are think he's a prophet. But the Spirit's role is to shine light and empower this movement of Jesus. And to me, it feels like we can get the Holy Spirit wrong in so many different ways, sadly. We can ignore the person of the Holy Spirit. We can confine the person of the Holy Spirit to narrow categories. We can shun or reject or dismiss the person of the Holy Spirit. We can miss or overlook or rationalize the person of the Holy Spirit out of our processes altogether. We can do lots of things when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit. Then early on, the church for the time these texts were forming, they wouldn't yet be able to fully articulate a more developed doctrine of the Trinity. But the witness of the New Testament text would lead the church theologians later on to speak of a God who is three in one, the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the third member of the Godhead, the eternal life-giving Spirit, who's worthy of all praise and honor and our worship, he replenishes. And this image of the river is someone who replenishes in a deeply personal way, who, who provides for, nourishes, and cares in a deeply personal way. But it is also a spirit who, and this is somewhat embracing a paradox, that this fullness of this living water of the spirit is also about the way of the cross. The spirit also leads us in the way of Jesus, in the way of suffering for the sake of the world. And it seems to me to speak of the living waters, to speak of the replenishing of the Holy Spirit that he wants to bring in abundance 
it seems to me really important that we need to hold on to both of those aspects. The sense that he wants to come around, nourish, help, encourage, personally, transform. But he also wants to lead us not into comfort. He also wants to lead us through dark nights, through seasons of pain, through seasons of difficulty. He also wants to lead us out into the world, whether or not we're successful, bruised, battered, broken, because he leads us in the way of the cross. And I think the church, generally, we always struggle to hold these things together. It'd be nice in some ways in our minds if we could have just one, but the paradox is this life is held together in both holding on to the, the transformation of the spirit, but also him as he leads us in the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. And I came across this from Bishop Graham Tomlin, who I can't put it any better, so I just thought I'd read what he said at some length. So just try and listen to that all-encompassing work, the Spirit. He says, A church that regularly invokes the Spirit through prayer, come Holy Spirit, invites the Spirit to create a new awareness of the love of God and also an awareness of the pain of the world and the sufferings of Christ for that world. When that prayer is prayed, we should expect powerful manifestations of that love in episodes of healing, words of prophecy, and other tangible signs of God's abiding compassion. We should also expect to be caught up in the suffering love that reaches out to draw the rest of the world into that healing and mature love, even when that reaching out is rejected and bruised as Christ was. If one is lacking, something authentic about the Spirit's work is missing. When both are present, the Holy Spirit begins to change us and the, work around, and the world around us to reflect the image of Christ, the beloved Son of the Father, which is the goal of all creation. And to me, there's a hinge point in this text and I think is our cue to an on-ramp as followers of Jesus. That this blessing and hinge point could only flow if the curse of the fall of death, sin and decay had been uh, dealt with. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given, is what our text says, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The invitation to get into the river of God's eternal blessing never begins with our straining and striving. The invitation to the, to the beginning, middle, and end of the Christian life is always a joyful, surprising, and glorious vision of a Christ who wants to offer blessing to the unworthy. It's a vision here of the completed work of Jesus. The cross is a work where God chooses to bless the unworthy through the sacrifice of the worthy son. And notice what our text is making clear here. Like, none of this can happen without the work of Jesus. So there are going to be things we need to do. Our agency, our sense of action and participation is really important in the life of faith. But he's saying there's something more important than our actions and our words. There's something more important and only possible by our vision of who Jesus is and what he has done. And the writer makes very clear that the source of this living water is, is entirely dependent on Jesus. A vision of the generous one who wants to bless people who are unworthy. And 
The emphasis at the start of the year can very often be about doubling down on our own efforts. Being the best version of ourselves. I've got my own secret goals bubbling up just because I'm motivated. I like to have goals and I feel it rising up and I will go after these things. And that's fine and appropriate for certain things. You know, I'm going to run faster than all of you for all of the next year and that's all going to be fun. It's good to have goals. I'm going to be the fastest person in Adelaide Place ever. And, but it's not about what I'll be able to conjure up this year. It's about a vision of the one who wants to bless independent of my works. We need to get our head around it and this is good news. This is good news. Which practically makes prayer and worship essential avenues and spaces where we proclaim Jesus is our generous Lord. And it's in prayer and worship and in places like this where we say Jesus is our generous Lord. We remind ourselves he's generous. He wants to bless and heal, not because of what we deserve. This is what we do. And as we pray in a space like this, as people, the temple of the Holy Spirit, where we say come Holy Spirit, prayer and worship become absolutely essential to hold this vision of the generous Lord and Savior who wants to bless us regardless of what we do. And so let me finish with a, a what if scenario, essentially. What if even in the, amidst the trials of life, amidst this cultural moment in the West, which is typically speaking one of decline, what if amidst the, the particular trials and tribulations of trying to rebirth a building that's just taken a wee bit longer than we expected, what if the eternal flow of a river of living water is still flowing despite these things? And what if it's us that tends to stick to the shallow end? Or what if it's us that takes a dip out of the water or try and stay away from the water? And what if Jesus is wanting us in the midst of our pain just to lead us into a deeper experience of his love? What if the river of God's spirit is here and available despite our barriers and our excuses and our mistakes and our proclivity to mess things up? What if the spirit of God is still inviting us despite all of the things that we might want to resist and shut the door on? And he's saying to us, step into the river of abundant blessing of God. And as we do that, experience our risen Lord this year. Let's pray together. Father, how we how we need you. How we need your care, your provision. How we need to see our names written into that again, that anyone and whoever. How we need to personalize that afresh and be like, you're talking to me. Thank you, Jesus, that you 
have cleared the way through your cross to be an agent of healing, a place of reconciliation, a place of healing, a place of forgiveness. Thank you that you've provided for all our mistakes past, present, and the ones that lie ahead of us this week and this year. Amidst all of our straining and striving that in some way is inevitable, Father, would you enlarge by your Holy Spirit a a vision of the generous Lord. Blessing in abundance those who are unworthy. Lord, may that motivate us to step deeper into your river in prayer, worship, and wonder. Jesus, you are Lord and our King. Spirit, come. Come. We honor you, Jesus, as our King. Let's worship God together.